Real estate in an IRA, this is what it does for you. It allows you to have this asset in your IRA, tax-free in a Roth or tax-deferred in a different kind of account. Here comes the rent, it all comes in, all comes in, expenses for that asset go out. Now you have a liquidity event, say you sell that property. 100% of those proceeds come back into the IRA. They're not diminished by tax like they would be if, you, if it was a personal deal. But in an IRA, you don't get taxed on that sale. And 100% of those proceeds go back out into your next deal. So you compound yeah. faster. You get to have that, that velocity and that power of all those dollars into your next deal. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's guest, Karen Hall, is the CEO of Udirect IRA Services and OCREIA. Despite being in the midst of a recession and mortgage market collapse, Karen founded and made a resounding success of Udirect IRA Services. She discovered a strategic way to put her 20-plus years experience in real estate, property management, and mortgage, lend mortgage lending into one avenue, one channel to serve real estate investors. She's a Abundance Women's member as well, and I'm really, really happy to have her here today. Welcome, Karen. Oh, thanks so much, Jamie. Just really happy to be here. Of course, of course. And a reminder to everybody, go to GoBundance.com, fill out an application. There's a community for you. Uh, it's an incredible experience if you haven't done it yet. So, Karen, let's start with a little bit of backstory. You talked about like radio DJing and you gave me like a preview of yeah. the voice, which is yeah. perfect for radio. So what gives radio DJ to CEO of an uh, an IRA company? Give me, what's going on? What well, you know, like everybody, I made the logical <laughs> transition from, you know, one career into real estate because we all realize that's how you that's how you build wealth, right? So true. You know, one day it was light rock, less talk, K Light 98.7 FM. And the next day it's hey, real estate, you know, mortgage. First it was I, I got a um a real estate license for and mm. that was I was in my 20s. And for a year, drove people around in my car, you know, then I got engaged and became the trailing spouse. So I did a lot of other jobs like sure. mortgage loan servicing for quite a number of years. And then in 1999, moved into loan origination and uh, and did just loved loan origination. And what I really loved about it was how I found that through mortgages, I could help people have financial freedom. One of the like the most incredible experiences I had with that was this single mom who had a lot of bills and she didn't realize that she could consolidate all of those bills into her mortgage and make that debt, um, number one, at a lower rate. And number mm. two, all that debt was now going to be tax deductible to her at the time. So that that was the, the rule then. So um, and so all that was tax deductible. And so she just she she sent me a letter and she said, I, you know, I or actually she called me on the phone. She says, I don't get any mail anymore, you know, all those yeah. bills. And I said, Hey, if you want, I'll, I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> but she had financial freedom for herself and her kids because she refinanced. And, wow. and that's the power of, of lending. And also the power of lending was uh, giving me a way to help, you know, help raise my family and help bring my, my kids up. It was a very Amazing. powerful thing. Give me a timeline on this. So you were you were uh, a radio DJ for I believe seventeen years. You said okay. Now you're going to figure out how old I am. I'm a hundred. No, no. Four. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. Let's see. Carry the three. No. <laughs> but so Times you were doing eight. this. You were doing yeah. this through. Well, the question I was going to have when you originally yeah. said that was how does a excite look? I. I I started it with the idea of being in radio. I never fully, fully fleshed it out, but I was I had like a non-commercial broadcaster's license. I wanted to be a radio DJ. All that. Oh, you stuff. got the voice. Yeah. 
I, well, thank you. Yeah. I was going to follow that through, but honestly, I didn't have the passion to go to like Dubuque, Iowa to do the overnight classical two to 6 a.m. You know, drive or whatever. I just didn't <laughs> oh, have hey, I've that in it. me. Yeah. And, right. And I know radio, I, I mean, unless you're at the pinnacle of it, doesn't make a ton of money. So my question was going to be, how'd you make enough money to start investing in real estate? But you've got, all, you have a real estate license, lending, all of this stuff. And you're going back to 99, which was, you know, makes you very young still. But were you in radio like throughout all of this, being a parent, like you call it the trailing parent? Like yeah. where did radio start and where did radio end? Let's let's shore that. Radio up started in college. Okay. You know, I was on I was on the the collegiate radio station there, yeah. the you know KRCK. You know, and and you remember uh, the call sig? You remember the 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 letters? You say something a billion times, you remember <laughs> it. You know, KRCK. I totally do. So. And uh, anyway, it was it was so much fun, and I was a broadcasting. <laughs> you're dying over there. I love how like you a, go into it. Like you could hear you go like, okay, oh, RC. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> well, look, I'm standing here. I got a microphone in front you of me. Move up, like, yeah. I just need a turntable, and I'm here. You know, that was the day. <laughs> Let me queue up it. some records. You know. Yeah. Right. So, oh, so man. when did you end? When did you stop being in radio? Gosh, uh, I, I officially stopped. In probably two about nineteen eight ninety eight, I would say I was in, by then I was living in Las Vegas. My kids were both little, and I had a, a weekend job. It's funny because I moved to Las Vegas, um, like part of the being the trailing spouse thing, and getting my hair done. And I listen, I'm listening to the radio, and I hear this voice. It's like I know this guy. It turns out I trained him for his very first <laughs> air shift, and there he was. I'm listening to him in this uh, you know place where I'm getting my hair done. And I call him up and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. So he hired me to do weekends while I'm doing my regular job. At that time, it was working for a home builder, um, doing the mortgages for a home builder. And so I did, yeah, I did radio all throughout at this, you know, simultaneously with these other things because a radio shift is four or six hours. Then you've got the rest of your day. Yeah. Now lending, you got into what year did you say? Was it 99? It was. Yeah. We moved to Orange County where I've lived ever since. So you know, that's a good solid, what, 24 years that I've lived here in Orange County, California. Yeah. Um, and I got into, uh, I'd say that's when I got into origination. Yeah. It, working for, it was called Loanworks at the time, turned into IndyMac Bank, turned into Mortgage Meltdown. <laughs> well, but, I was going to ask you, yeah. like, was 08, obviously, but even, I don't know how much .com, 2000, 2001, was there an impact there as well in the origination space, in the loan origination space? I would imagine there was, no? There, there was, yeah. We we were an online um, mortgage uh, company, Loanworks, it was called. Kind of, it was a spinoff, a REIT off of Countrywide. And we were getting, and it was all the tech people that were doing loans with us because they were the first ones, the early adapters, you know, yeah. to go online and do their, do a loan online. It was Still early days, there wasn't a lot of trust in the internet, yeah. right? And sure. you know, maybe with good reason. So, so yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I started doing loans, and at that time, I was uh, originating them, like talking and originating them, processing them, and really underwriting them. The only thing I wasn't doing is drawing up the docs and funding the deal. Uh, but I, I worked with hundreds of of uh, borrowers doing all kinds of things, buying and refinancing, and. And and I could watch them build their personal wealth. Mm. And that was where I really gained all the jargon and, and the structure and the uh, the techniques, how people do things. So I was able to then implement that later on in my life into my own transactions, you know, for, for my own family. 
What, um, when you, so you were in the origination space, the loan space still in 08, 09, then it sounds like, correct? I wasn't. I got out in, I'd say, 07. And that's when I went to work for a self-directed IRA company um, in, you know, here in Orange County. And I worked for them for two years uh, before jumping out and making uh, you direct IRA services, creating this, this company. Gotcha. You go back to the trailing spouse for a moment. When did that end trailing? When did trailing end and how? How did that, I mean, that could be a tough conversation or it could be just a, a shift in the identity of the relationship. What did that look like? You well, know, kind of both. Well, in 1999 is when we landed in Orange County, California, bought a house. Um, I did get divorced three years later. So there's mm. that. I yeah. became a single mom. So at that time, when I opened Udirect, um, I was like a single mom with two kids and a mortgage in a mortgage in a meltdown. And I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to you know, just put food on the table. And the answer ended up being self-directed IRAs, this little known thing. I mean, you don't, (laughs) it's like I was a little girl hoping to self-direct IRAs one day, you know, that wasn't my, my end game, but it was so perfect because I've got this radio talent and the ability to speak in public. I know a little bit about that. I know about lending, which self-directed IRA investors, they invest in performing and non-performing debt um, lending and, and loans and so forth. And all those, all that jargon comes into play. And also real estate, like buying and selling my own real estate. And as a real estate agent, in fact, I had an, um, a license in three different states, mm-hmm. in Texas, in Washington state and California. And I've also had an insurance license. So I just sort of learned about financial services. So all that comes together in what I'm doing here at Udirect. So we understand what our investors are doing. I hire people that have a real estate background so that they understand not just the, mm. the you know, the nomenclature, the, the jargon, but also the urgency and what's what and what goes where. And if this doesn't work, what do you do? So I'd say that one thing you learn in the mortgage industry is how to put out fires and how to solve problems. You just go to the ends of the earth to figure out the answer. It's it's very unique. I want I want to dive into sort of clientele, ideal client, because there's so there's so much noise in the IRA or or EQRP or whatever space. Right. So I want to <laughs> I want to dive into that here in a second. But okay. if you don't mind, I want to say spend one more minute on the personal side, and maybe this okay. is so. Right now, I have a I have a soon to be eight and soon to be five year old boys. And my wife has been, you know, like the trailing spouse, she would hate to call herself that, but you know, she's been, you know, raising the kids as I've been forging forward on career and then leaving corporate America and going full-time into sort of real estate online, this, all this stuff. Right. But now she's at this pivot point where she's transitioning to, you know, not being trailing anymore. Like, you know, we've just had this conversation about me needing to create space so that she can have her, her own, like almost like her own single tract within the relationship. Maybe I'm asking for advice or just for anybody that might be in this space. But when you, when your marriage, if you don't mind sharing, when your marriage yeah. ended up ending, yes. was it anything to do with that? Were you coming out of it? Was it was it a matter of like, you know, the relationship didn't have space for you to now ascend up? Like, what, what did that how do you manage through there? How did you manage through that? And, you know. Yeah, that wasn't the reason for, for the for the divorce. So that's good. And and anything I wanted to do was always supported. So that's good. And yeah. and I always supported him. That's why I was the trailing spouse. It's like, hey, let's move. Like, okay, sure. let's pick it up and go. You know, who yeah. knows what's ahead? You never know what's ahead. You have to have some sense of adventure. But once I was divorced and on my own, then it was okay, you know, let's let's go forward. And you're right. So when you don't have a spouse anymore, um, you know, as a woman, now I'm taking out the garbage, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and there are things I was doing, but but uh, 
so you just find you find other things to do um if, other care for the kids and a lot of activities so the kids were in a lot of activities and found really healthy ways for them to uh, just get their energy out a lot of sports and by the way my son ended up being a collegiate athlete my daughter in high school was wow. in water polo and she was a swimmer and and now she ha- just she just got her master's degree last summer and my son nice. now he's uh he's getting his master's in theology he's in seminary to be a presbyterian minister how do you like that amazing what was his college sport uh it was okay his high school sport was football rugby and track but he didn't mm-hmm. want to get a concussion in college so he became <laughs> a hammer thrower right so he, you see me I, i'm norwegian and swedish he's this big norwegian kid with blonde hair and he just you know just looks all viking and i wanted to name him thor and i got vetoed but who was right okay so he threw the hammer which is like a giant oh my gosh like a giant shot put with a cable attached to it and you spin it and you turn your whole body around and you throw it and whoever can throw the far furthest wins and it oh my gosh he was just like a mountain of muscle the those boys those young men that do this crazy and he finished 18th in the nation as a D1 athlete. No kidding. Yeah. So it was appropriate throwing the hammer. I like that name. Yeah. Oh, Magnus Thor. comes to mind, right? Norwegian strongman. Like think of Magnus. Everybody's named Magnus <laughs> now, but yeah. Or, um, or Sven or something. Or yeah. Sven. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's also, that's in but the his name is Mitchell, stuff. but he, he's my Viking and that that's his, his, his Mitchell nickname is Thor. You know, he has Thor t-shirts. People give him Thor stuff for Christmas, you know? That's awesome. That's so it all awesome. worked out well, but no, those are those are tough years. Yeah, and you can't make light of how hard that is, and and I think that those are the times when you really dig in deep and realize how deep your inner resources really can be, mm. um, and how you can, even though we all have the same amount of hours in a day, how you can get the most out of those hours, really squeeze them, and that's what I did. I mean, it wasn't a lot of sleep, but uh, the results, you know, it's successful you direct successful kids yeah and things are going fine i love the uh, inner resources that's a great great phrase so you direct all right so let i, I don't know here's how i'm playing it in my mind right so you you had a, a job at one company and you're moving to another company often you take 401k you dump it into ira that's kind of a traditional thing that you hear about quite a bit yeah. or you know you do leave the corporate corporate world or you have an ira because you want to invest in real estate or whatever who comes to you like do you target specifically hey you know you ira funds directed at real estate investment is that kind of what you're targeting do you turn away somebody who's like i just want an ira that i can you know put money into maybe it's checkbook control or whatever the case may be tell me about what you target what is it that you direct is is what's the niche of it or what's it specializing in our niche is alternative assets so the people we turn away are people who don't understand alternative assets. What's an oh, what's an alternative asset? What do you right, mean by yeah, that? Yeah, right. I know <laughs> I should define these words here. No, that's okay. Yeah, alternative asset that's outside of the stock market, alternative to not stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. But you know now it's real estate, which is like uh, multifamilies, storage units, um, mobile home parks, uh, commercial buildings, and you know private equity, Reg D offerings, private placements, all kind of words for the same thing. Also precious metals, uh, buying, performing, and non-performing debt, your IRA being the lender and lending money to people. So it's people in the real estate space because 99% of the assets that we do see come through our, our doors here are in some way tied to real estate, you see. Mm-hmm. 
And, and that's what that means. Alternative asset means not a stock market, not a market correlated asset. Talk about, you mentioned like the origination space, loan, mortgage servicing, all of that. You've kind of, you've kind of taken that and channeled it into this. How does that experience help a client at Udirect with the product that you've designed? It helps because when someone calls us to tell us about their deal, we know what they're talking about. Got it. Okay. And you definitely, when you've got a deal, you want to be heard, you know, <laughs> and you want to know the person on the other end knows what you're trying to do and gets your goal so that we can get you to the end and understands the nuances of it. Um, you know, and, and at the same time, we also have to be able to explain things like sometimes like some of like in, in the old days, it would just be okay to just have a napkin note. Like I, Bob lend you Kathy $80 million, you know, whatever. And, and that was, you know, considered a contract, but in self-directed IRA world, it's just not, we need a principal amount. We need a rate. We need a maturity date. Um, you know, all those different, uh, you know, a P and I payment, we need all of that data stated on the note and it can't just be a napkin note, for example. Yeah. Makes sense. The, um, when somebody's investing in real estate inside of an IRA, what comes to my mind is the ability, like the value of real estate in many ways is tax tax advantages, you know, bonus depreciation and all of that. Is there, a, is there an advantage to investing in an IRA in any way and leveraging depreciation, even though you're not able to really see that, that, uh, you know, IRA funds, IRA returns are all for a later, later distribution to you. So right. is there a disadvantage or advantage in any way in having real estate in an IRA from a depreciation perspective? Right. Well, whenever I talk in public, I always, uh, you know, speak about this on this topic. I mentioned that real estate might not be ideal for an IRA because you're mm. going to lose those kinds of tax advantages like depreciation, like cost segregation. You're not going to be able to realize that kind of a benefit with a self-directed IRA. So if you have the cash, maybe making the deal with your cash makes more sense, right? But if you don't have the cash and maybe you've got this big fat 401k or 403b yeah. or whatever, you know, 457 from your old employer or a big IRA, you move it over. And now the question is, do, do I invest that money in the stock market hmm. or do I invest it in, in asset classes that I know and understand like real estate? So a lot of our target market, to go back to your other question, is real estate investors. And that's why I have OC RIA. It's uh, every major metropolitan area has a RIA and ours is in Orange County. So it's OC RIA uh, to talk about in a, in a different corporate structure, <laughs> talk sure. about, you know, real estate transactions and how they work and bring on great speakers like uh, some of the GoBundance members, like um, like Amanda Hahn, for example, sure. has spoken at our at our group. So uh, it all ties together. It all ties together. But 100%. real estate in an IRA, what it does, this is what it does for you is that it allows you to have this asset in your IRA tax-free in a Roth or tax-deferred in a different kind of account. So you all the here comes the rent, it all comes in, all comes in, expenses for that asset go out. Now you have a liquidity event. Say you sell that property, 100% of those proceeds come back into the IRA, right? Mm -hmm. They're not diminished by tax like they would be if, you, if it was a personal deal, right? You get taxed. Yep. But in an IRA, you don't get taxed on that sale. And 100% of those proceeds go back out into your next deal. So you compound yep. faster. You get to have that, that velocity and that power of all those dollars into your next deal. 
Is there no is there no way to leverage depreciation at any point in an IRA? Is there no avenue where depreciation plays into, you know, anything now or future? Yes, there is a, a small small sliver of the pie where, where depreciation could come into play, and that is when your IRA borrows money. So basically, an IRA can get a loan. It's a non recourse loan. It's not a regular Fannie Freddie loan or anything. It's not like borrowing for your own personal home at all. It's a different loan. It's a commercial loan made to the IRA account. Mm. So say it's for real estate. Say it's a $100,000 property. You've got $70,000 you put in from your IRA. $30,000 is borrowed. Now you get a $1,000 rent payment. Great. So 30% of that $1,000 rent payment came from leverage. So $300, 30% is subject to this tax called UB, yeah, UDFI, Unrelated Debt Financed Income Tax. Mm -hmm. So that can be taxable and your tax person would file a 990T. Now, when your tax person is filing that 990T, they'll take into account depreciation. If you invest in private equity um, in somebody else's Reg D offering and they're taking on debt, that will pass UDFI through the K-1 onto your IRA. And you might not even know that, so you need to know that. <laughs> yeah, but if it does, yeah, then, then the tax person's gonna look at depreciation. Did you know if, did they do a cost seg? What did they do? Um, and, and put that through, so you may owe zero tax, but you still need to file a 990T when your IRA takes on leverage and receives proceeds from leverage. What what you started to say and actually I wrote it down. What is what is UBIT tax? If that might I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to read about it, uh, you could go to the IRS's website, irs.gov, and it's publication 598598. Pub 598 talks all about it. Ask your tax person since we don't give tax advice. Right. But there are two twin taxes. There is uh UBIT, which is investing in an active business, then you have to pay this tax. And UDFI, which is the tax on uh, income to a non-taxable entity due to leverage. Okay. Yeah. And so these two taxes are about the same rate as the trust rate. So it's pretty high. And before you get into a deal, you definitely always want to talk to your advisors. Have your attorney review whatever contract you're investing in. This is due diligence. Talk to your tax people and say, look, this is what I'm looking to do. What are my tax benefits and what do I need to look out for? And find out if they know how to file a 990T, right? Mm. So, so we always offer our customers at UDirect a, a consultation. We've got a badge on our website, you know, free consultation. We'll talk to you about your deal because we want to hear if you have any red flags, like the possibility of needing to understand uh, UBIT and UDFI or understand the other rules like uh, prohibited transactions. Interesting. You and I were talking briefly, and you put it in your bio about Secure Act 2.0. Can you explain what that is? How it's changing, if at all, re retirement accounts are making changes potentially to retirement accounts. What is that? And what do people need to know about it? I will. I will. So, so we had a Secure Act 1.0 in 2019, and it didn't do a lot. But what it did, one thing it did that affects IRA investors is it changed the RMD age. So RMD is required minimum distribution. So when you have an account, not a Roth typically, but uh, like a traditional or a SEP or a simple IRA or a 401k, once you reach a certain age, you're required to take a certain amount of money out. Okay, it's required. So that RMD age was 70 and a half. Secure Act 1.0 changed that from 70 and a half to 72. Mm. So for a couple of years now, it's been 72 years for your RMD phase. 
Secure Act 2.0 changed that age to 73. Yay. And so like, who cares? Why is that a good thing? Right? So it's a good thing because if you are approaching your RMD phase, you get to keep that money in your account longer. It gets to keep baking and working and investing and growing tax-free longer than it would have otherwise before you have to take it out. But here's some other good news about uh, Secure Act 2.0. 10 years from now, in 2033, the RMD minimum age will go to 75. Yay, we're living longer. And the government, you know, the the powers that be are acknowledging that. Um, people, you know, it used to be at 65. That was about the age you died. And right now it's about the age that you get a Ferrari, right? <laughs> <laughs> or so, whatever. But you just get started then. To be clear on this, though, so you, so 75 is the required, like you have to, if you haven't taken it by then, you have to start by then in 10 years, right? Or well, 73. Yeah, yeah, today it's, today the age, for, you know, starting January 1st, 2023, the age of 73. In 10 years, it will go up to 75. But yes, so what you do is you go on the IRS's website and they have this chart. So you factor in how much you have versus, you know, you you, you meet the coordinates in the middle to find out what your factor is. Yeah. You multiply the balance of all your retirement accounts by that factor and you come up with a number. And that's the amount that you must withdraw from your account. At 73. At today at 73, right? Depends on when you were born, uh, when you're okay. in there. So so this is another good, great time to talk to your tax advisor. And they you should be talking to your tax advisor annually and tax planning. Like, hey, this is coming up. How should I meet this? And not just be surprised that this event is coming up, but be prepared for it by, by having an annual uh, c- consultation with your tax advisor. This is a dumb question, but when can you start taking distributions? Anytime, literally. I mean, it's your money, Right. So you can have it at any time, but if you take money out of your account before you're 59 and a half, it's taxable to you. And I'm talking about a traditional or a SEP or a 401k for the most part, Um, and even a Roth IRA. So, but once you're older than 50, you can take the money out. Now in a pre-tax account, it's still taxable, but it's not, there's no penalty. You don't face a penalty. So, so fifty can, is the is the fifty eliminates the penalty. Fifty nine and a half. Fifty nine yeah. eliminates the penalty. Yeah, got it, got almost it, got it. sixty. Okay. Fifty. I don't know why it's fifty nine and a half. <laughs> it's so arbitrary, you know. But there it is. It's fifty nine and a half. Then you can start taking it out without a penalty. Is there anything right now? I mean, we're going through this change, right? We went from sort of a all Republican to all Democrat. Now we have a Democrat Democratic president. One house is is Republican. I'm just curious, like what's 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 on the table. What is, you know, retirement accounts are always something of discussion, but like, what is, what's in your crosshairs? What are you seeing or hearing? Even if it's like, yeah, I don't see it's a big chance, but this is what's out there right now. Like what's next? What are you seeing and hearing on the horizon? Yeah, I have a real answer to that because I sit on the board of directors for the Retirement Industry Trust Association, and Mm. we have lobbyists that are talking to lawmakers, you know, and legislators and so forth and, and regulators every day. And with the Secure Act 2.0, this was totally bipartisan. Retirement is something that both parties are concerned about equally. This was actually something that didn't have a lot of contention. Um, everyone agreed it needed, you know, how could we make it better? And Secure Act 2.0 in a lot of ways makes it better. In fact, um, another thing to mention about Secure Act 2.0 is it brings us two new kinds of retirement accounts. Sort of. So it's like a hybrid. So we have a SEP IRA, which is for employers called the Simplified Employee Pension, SEP. 
We have a simple IRA, which is also for employers, called the Savings Incentive Match Plan for Employers, you know, another acronym, thanks to the government, you know, Mm. acronyms. So the SEP and SIMPLE right now, when you contribute, it's pre-tax dollars and you get a tax deduction. But what Secure Act 2.0 did is said, okay, now that money can go in as Roth money. This The money now can go into your SEP and SIMPLE as after-tax dollars and grow tax-free. So that became effective January 1st this year. But however, there is no guidance. There is no account prototype. So we we don't know how those rules are going to come down and what the fine points of those are. We don't have an account application from the IRS saying this is how you present it. Here are the disclosures. We have to wait. And so we're probably going to be waiting until at least, at least this summer before we can start offering the Roth SEP and the Roth Simple. Let me be clear on this. So this is so a Roth, again, my my basic explanation and understanding (laughs) of it. The the Roth is essentially saying, hey, you contribute post-tax dollars from your paycheck. And the growth on that, on that, uh, uh, you know, into your 401k, into your SEP, into whatever, the growth on that is tax-free, right? Yes. There's the pre-tax uh, option, like you mentioned. Hey, you can you can do pre-tax dollars into your, you know, before your employer swipes away an amount to to kind of withhold for tax season. You can take pre-tax dollars, drop it into a 401k, and say you did that for 20 years, right? And over time, that built up to a certain amount, and then there's compounding and everything. So are, if I'm hearing this right, tell me if I'm right or wrong, but what this is saying is essentially you can convert that over to a Roth with no penalty? Well, that's not what I'm saying, uh, but you you can <laughs> okay. but you you can convert to Roth. If you do, you will pay tax on the conversion. Well, I'm talking right. about something different. Yeah, help me out then. I didn't quite catch that. What What's the difference? Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm since I understand it, I think I'm going through it quickly. That's okay. But there's pre-tax and after-tax, those two ways to contribute. Yeah. And so the after-tax, the Roth, the Roth is referred to the, 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 the like you've paid your tax on that money. That's yep. the equal to Roth. And so you can contribute to a Roth account um, unless your income's too high. There are a lot of little factors. Again, right, this right. is why we offer the consultation and yep. get you through this so you understand your own individual situation. But now what you're talking about is a conversion. If you have pre-tax dollars and you want to turn them into after-tax dollars, that is a Roth conversion, sometimes called the backdoor Roth. And when you do that, any amount converted is taxable, mm. not penalized, but taxable. Right. So there are two things. It's like contributing to an account after tax or converting, you know, converting to Roth. Those Got are it. two different different things. So, so then go back to this change that doesn't have any sort of you know clarity on it, and you may not know. So wh- who's the person? What's the situation? This is where I've had a Roth in the past. No, or who, who? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sure, sure. So this is this is an employer, and you've got maybe you're self-employed. You have a couple of, of full-time employees, and you have a SEP, a simplified employee pension, for example. Got it. And so you contribute every year for your employees, and so that contribution has always been like a traditional, where the yeah. contribution you're making for yourself and your employees is a pre-tax kind of a contribution, mm-hmm. and the business may see a tax deduction for it for making that contribution to their employees, and then that money grows in the employees, uh, you know, accounts, retirement account, their their portion of the SEP, until they take it out and they'll pay tax at the end. But what this new thing, and I'm so glad you're helping me flesh this out because it's really important to understand sure. that now, yeah, once we get 
the, you know, once the, the Department of Treasury comes out, right. yeah, with all the details, is that you're going to put your money in, like as an employer, you'll make those same contributions, but they can be after-tax dollars. Mm. So that means that you've already paid tax on them. They go in after-tax. And now your employees have these after-tax dollars. And as long as they, I mean, I assume that it'll be the same kind of rules. But for a Roth, you have to meet two qualifying conditions. Be 59 and a half and have a Roth account for five years. I mean, just mm -hmm. a Roth account. And if you meet those two conditions, then the money comes out tax-free. So how great to be a small employer, have a set plan, which by the way, can be self-directed. And then your employees have this tax-free money. As, and after they turn 59 and a half, as long as they've had a Roth account for five years and they're 59 and a half, they can take out that money tax-free that they got from their employer. Very, very powerful. For the employer, there's there's a lot of um there's a great marketing in that, right? Like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna set this up for you so that it's uh, tax-free once you go to withdraw it at 59 and a half. Is there an advantage in that for the employer paying in post-tax dollars versus pre-tax dollars? Really? I mean, as an employer, I'm thinking, oh, that means as an employer, I get to pay the tax. <laughs> right. Because after tax dollars, I get a tax deduction as a as a as a CEO. But you know, there there are so this is the IRA level we're talking about. So if we go up to the next level, you know, the next level up, those are the ERISA plans for mm. full-blown companies with with employees like you direct IRA services. So we have a 401k which is um, a special kind of plan has different rules than the IRA, and I get and I get uh, as an employer the company receives tax benefits for what we do, and then, and even above the four hundred one k is the defined benefit plan. So there are higher and higher kinds of retirement accounts that we don't offer. We offer retirement accounts to the individual. Uh, more, you know, the SEP and the simple are for employers. So is the solo k to a small small company with no employees. Uh, but we focus on the individual plans mostly. Got it. You direct. What's the? Give me an idea of the scope size. What? What? Uh, a number of employees. Uh, I don't know. Assets under management. I don't know if you would call it that. That's funny. I'm in this real estate yeah. space. Like, what? Yeah. What? What does it look like? What's the size and scope of you direct at this point? Well, we have nearly a billion dollars under management. Ah. You know, <laughs> and that's that's pretty great. We're in our 14th year. We have an anniversary uh, hitting 14 years officially uh, in August. So that's great. And we have uh, about, we have 12 employees that you direct. And then we also uh, have a trust company custodian that we utilize and they have multiple employees, dozens of employees, and they do the cash management, the tax reporting and the record keeping. Hmm. Gotcha. Are you, um, are you personally investing in real estate as well? Or are you more, is this, this is what you do when you help those that are investing in real estate? Oh, I do. And you know, you can't hang around a bunch of real estate investors without getting, you know, without catching the bug. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know. So yes, I've I've invested in in uh, the deals of of some asset sponsors I know because you can imagine we don't recommend investments, but you better believe I know a lot of asset sponsors, a lot of people sure. who have opportunities and I and I can kind of sift them out for myself and I'm in maybe half a dozen of those and I have a couple of rental properties as well. Nice, nice. Gobunna's women. You mentioned Amanda Hahn dragged you in kicking and screaming. I love that. I just <laughs> literally interviewed her a few minutes ago. So what's um what's been the advantage for you of being in a community like that? I just had no idea how powerful it was going to be, uh, GoBundance. Um, especially during COVID, we're also isolated. And then to walk into this really awesome tribe of women, and I say tribe because these are some strong girls and but also cool girls and 
uh, the, you don't have to explain yourself when you're when you're a C, when you're a CEO or you're a business owner. A lot of things that you're going to talk about socially, people now yeah, they you know they want to talk about something else. But when you're a CEO, you can really get down to it about employees, and you can talk about you know cash flow, and you can talk about uh, growth and exit strategies, and all these. Uh, business strategy things. And then there's also the personal side. So we're talking about all the issues like the stress issues that we face. And we, in Sedona, I was in the Sedona um, retreat and we did this really awesome meditation, which is so great to just relax and all be together, but we're of a similar mind. We have similar goals and we're supporting each other. It's, it's, uh, it's really great. Interesting. No, I love it. Again, I've been on the men's side for, for four years and I I feel similarly. It's a, I always say the the ROI you can't calculate is the ability to show up as your whole self with other people that understand where, you know, even if it's your ambition, if nothing else, it could be understand your business, understand what you need to do, have kind of gone before you, but at least understand your ambition, because that's hard to communicate with your regular network, I guess you could say, right? So uh, no, that's great. That's great. Um, all right, let's wrap this on a question from the GoBundance card game. And this is a four of diamonds. <laughs> The question is, what sport would be the funniest to add a mandatory amount of alcohol to? <laughs> Hammer throwing might be in the equation here. Actually. Okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna throw that out. Yeah, that that would be uh, that would be lethal. I think the funniest <laughs> would probably be track and field. I, I guess because you never know where, where where they'd be running. I mean, javelins would be going everywhere. You know, I could just see that. But uh, I don't know. Who knows if, if they don't do it already? I can't tell you. A lot of broken hurdles along the way as people oh. are jumping over. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> kind of like a goofy cartoon, you know, Mickey Mouse. And yeah, Mickey. exactly. Karen, I appreciate it. How can people learn more about you, Udirect, anything that you're doing? How can we get more uh, more information from you? Yeah, it's you, the letter U, UdirectIRA.com. And that's our website. Info at UdirectIRA is the best way to get a hold of us. We're all over social media. So you can find us if you want to network with other self-directed investors. Uh, you know, look on social media, you'll meet other people where LinkedIn, you know, all the Instagram, Facebook, every, everything. And from time to time, we have investor networking events, typically in Orange County, California. We're having a big one coming up March 9th. I'm not sure when this is airing, but if you miss the March 9th event, we'll have another one. And we bring in people with opportunities and people with money looking to invest. And we just have a nice networking event and people can meet each other, you know, like-minded investors and, and talk. And you know, I'm sure some deals come out of it. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure I used to run a networking group in Michigan when I was living there. And um, at least two deals came out of that for me personally, just by by running that. So there's, it's just like you said, it's a value add, like you're, what you're doing with OCREIA. Right. It's a value add for everybody there. It's enjoyable, especially if you kind of come from that communications radio background, just kind of yeah. putting out stuff, but you do, you see the return on that. So no, I love it. I love all that you're doing. So a lot of good friendships are made too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Karin, I appreciate you being on. Thanks for being here today. Uh, thank you, Jamie.